This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into Alana Enquirer Podcast, and it's Mondays with Jay Lehman, and this is such a roller coaster ride. Mr. All-American is uh, Illinois, uh, beats Penn State, follows it up with a home loss to Rutgers, uh, and then they go on the road and get another ranked win at Minnesota. Uh, how do you explain this, Jay? Are they just road warriors? I, I don't understand why they're able to, to win these games and then drop, say, Rutgers or Maryland at home. I wish I had a great explanation, right? of why this stuff happens the way it does. Um, the only thing I can think of is one, they're learning how to be consistent, okay? How to finish games, how to be, how to finish week to week. They're learning how to do that from winning program. And, and Brett's mentioned that in some of his press conferences. Number two is, I think they like playing on the road better. I think there's more energy on the road uh, compared to what Memorial Stadium is now. Right now, I think it's yeah. gonna get better, but I just think there's more energy on the road. Um, it seems to me that when stuff's not going well at home, sometimes they feel a pressure and a tightness and the boo birds come out. It just feels like, well, here we go again, where it's just kind of them on the road. So that doesn't give any explanation for what we've seen the last two or three weeks, you know, at Penn State, Minnesota, but it's my best guess. So Jay, take us in. This looked like Ryan Walter's masterpiece so far this season to hold Minnesota to six points and really come close to the first shutout since 2000 uh, for a Big Ten opponent for Illinois. Um, Obviously, the the guys who who play deserve deserve a ton of credit, but we've talked about all season how Ryan Walters' game planning has been pretty impressive. What was it about what they did against Minnesota and in the execution that they basically pitched a shutout and the last 45 minutes carried Illinois to a victory? Yeah, so... um... First off, no plan is ever great unless it's executed by the players, right? So I want to give the credit to the players, but I just thought they were put in the proper position by Ryan Walters. I mean, one of the one of those defensive sets that we saw that was kind of unique was uh, moving Kirby Joseph to a very deep single high safety. Okay, probably fifteen. He's not even in the picture in most of the, most of the tape you look at, so he's at least fifteen yards deep. They move uh, Sidney Brown into a true strong safety, kind of uh, in high school, you would call this guy the monster man, the eighth guy, but you see he roams around and he he's guarding guys man to man. And he, a lot of times he's the eighth man in the box. And um, that's why Sidney Brown, you know, had so many tackles and was so active. Um, but then he also lined up Tariq Barnes at about mm, seven, eight yards deep, right? Uh, and so they had man-to-man coverage on the outside with inside leverage, meaning that they're lined up slightly inside of the receivers. Um, they had Barnes at eight yards, and then they had Kirby Joseph at you know 15 yards at safety. So the question is why, right? And we know that Minnesota is an RPO team. That just means run, pass, option. You know, a large percentage of their plays 
when they've been successful has been the inside zone uh, option to hand the ball off and or to throw the quick slant that usually hits about seven to ten yards where the line of scrimmage is at okay off of that if they hit that slant enough they can run a slant and go known as a sluggo route and that is basically the same as a, a hitch and go but the guy will run a slant route and a slant route is basically three or four yards vertical and then they break in side to the to where the football is at at a 45 degree angle and a sluggo they do the same thing except they pump fake the slant and the guy goes vertical um and if you look at their offense from 2019 which you know according to brett bielema uh ryan walters looked at a lot of tape some bowl games some different things to prep um if you look at when tanner morgan had tyler johnson and had rashad bateman uh, I think he had something like 28 TDs, like four interceptions that year. Uh, probably the second best quarterback behind Justin Fields in the D, in the Big Ten. And they would run the run pass option, the zone read to Ibrahim, Muhammad Ibrahim, Ibrahim, I always get his name mixed up, and uh, run the slant to Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, or then run the sluggo uh, slant and go. And so you're like, okay, Jay, that's great. Why, why, why are you telling me this, right? So I'm getting to the punchline here. Well, what, what's difficult on RPO is it really attacks a zone defense because the, the linemen are blocking like it's a run no matter what. This makes the defensive of players, specifically the linebackers, who are usually at four and a half, five yards depth, to come up and run fit, and then they dump it uh, eight, you know, right behind them at eight yards past the line of scrimmage for the slant route. Or they can run the sluggo. What, what, what did they do? They decided we're going to play man-to-man coverage on the outside. That means I'm not looking at whether the guy's running the ball or not. I'm right. guarding my man. So then the RBO is a little bit, uh, you know, negated. Who wasn't? Who was not uh, have a running back? It was actually Tariq Barnes. He's lined up at eight yards. Why lined up at eight yards? That's where the slant's going to hit, guys. The slant is going to hit at eight yards on an RPO. And it's always easier to go forwards than it is to go backwards. They just lined up Tariq Barnes farther and said, hey, we'll give him a two- or three-yard gain. Hopefully our front line can take it, right? Hopefully Keith Randolph and Perry can do a great job. But but we know that Barnes can can actually go and make that play from eight yards for a two- or three-yard gain. But if we put him at eight yards, it's going to really take away the throwing lane of that slant. And if I put Kirby Joseph at 15 – if we ban up, you know, jump up on the on the slant route and they run a sluggo uh, or slant and go, Kirby Joseph is deep. Yeah. He's there to help out on all those guys that are tight inside lovers. So that took away about 40 or 50% of their offensive plays because they run that RPO a ton. And so I thought it was a great scheme by Ryan Walters, and that was a long-winded explanation, but I wanted to get you to understand yeah. why it was lined up that way. No, that's, that's great, Jay, because that was the concern I had. I haven't gone against correct me if i'm wrong a lot of rpo game uh, they, they, no they, they haven't a yeah. little bit against utsa right but then they really abandoned the rpo because they could just throw the football all the time <laughs> in that game right, right. Uh, but that's right. about that's about it and so um you know, they would have seen more against purdue but i think king doru was out in that game and then it run a ton they just were throwing the football so yeah i was worried about that too what were they going to do but you got to remember that ryan walters came from the sec and this is a very prevalent offensive, and there will be, by and large, more creativity in the SEC, in the American Conference, because he also coached at Memphis as well, than in the Big Ten West. RPO is pretty prevalent, and I think that's where he comes from the school of like, listen, we got to do multiple things, right? Yep. I know there's the Iowa school of, hey, 
we're going to recruit you to this defense. We're going to die in the wool to this defense. And we're going to play this defense. Well, Kirk Ferentz has been there 22 years. So they've recruited sophomores in high school, you know, and, and molded them all throughout. And they roll them in and out. And they know exactly that. We're trying to develop what we are. And I think Ryan Walters realized in this day and age with offenses always changing, tempo, formations, personnels, we've got to do a better job of having more options. And I would say he game plans more like a, a NFL defensive coordinator, which is going to game plan specifically for that opponent and then switch it up. We've seen this multiple times. Well, it was Maryland. Well, they, they did a great job game planning for Maryland by dropping eight. We saw this in Penn State uh, in where they blitzed Tariq Barnes with the Pop Warner Blitz in the A-gap, mm-hmm. and that ne- no, nullified the running game. And we see it again now against um, Minnesota. And uh, I guess I was surprised that Minnesota, after what we saw with Noah Vedrill in the Rutgers game and the quarterback run, that other than Cole Kramer when he got in there and everybody kind of knew it was quarterback run, we didn't see Tanner Morgan pull and run the ball, which would be a weak point of playing man-to-man and your linebackers being so far away. So I did not see that adjustment. Uh, You know, remember the offensive coordinator for uh, Mike Sanford for Minnesota is looking at the same tape of Rutgers that I'm looking at. And as a linebacker, I would say, man, I got to be ready for five or six quarterback runs because Noah Vedrill killed us on that. But we didn't see that. And uh, part of that's just due to, to really Ryan Walters getting them off kilter. I want to ask you about the defensive line because no defensive <laughs> game plan uh, can work without that. But you right, mentioned sure. Kirby Joseph, Jay, and I was looking back at I, I wanted to see how many chunk plays teams were getting through the air uh, since Kirby's kind of been that free safety. And he, he got in the Virginia game, and Maryland got a bunch of uh, chunk plays when he was the free safety too. But the last five games against Power 5 opponents – uh, Illinois allowed 13 pass plays of 20 plus yards or 2.6 per game before that the four games before that against uh the good teams they played uh they were going up 6.25 per game and then the 30 plus yard plays they were giving up 2.5 per game the first four games 0.8 the last couple games he's wow. playing great free safety because uh, he covers up a lot of ground uh, and makes plays but he's also seemingly allowed Sidney Brown to play a different role what, right. what, what are you seeing? Like, how is Ryan Walters using those guys? Because you are seeing, like, Sidney Brown be a shapeshifter out there at strong safety, right. isn't he? Right, right, yeah. Just kind of that monster man they were talking about. That's a, that's a really good stat you pulled out, though. And I would say, you know, through the first four games before Kirby really took over the um, free safety, it was much like we've seen under Levy Smith defenses, right? We probably averaged six to seven 20-yard pass plays as a defense throughout Lovey Smith's tenure. I mean, I'm just throwing, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just from what I remember. And ultimately those chunk plays lead to scores, right? And so we, we, we could not stay in games, right? I mean, there's so many games that be done by like the, the half, yep. right? And when we're just staying in games, but I think it really, it, it's, a, it, and it's a testament to what you can do when you get the guy in, in the right position. I, I just think, we always ask ourselves, why isn't Sidney Brown, who has all these tools, playing better? And I just don't think he's a natural free safety. I think he's a very natural strong safety. Uh, you know, I, I, I can relate. I was not a natural outside linebacker to play in space more. Uh, and, and I really struggled at outside linebacker. When I moved to middle, I felt much more comfortable. And sometimes a change in position can do wonders for a guy. And I've seen that with Sidney Brown play more. He's a, here's a guy who's playing with a club too. Let's not forget that. Right. I mean, he's, he's had a, he had an injury. Yeah. And Jay, can, I, a lot. can I interrupt you? Like what makes sure. him a better strong safety than free safety for people? Out so there? great question. First of all, I think Kirby Joseph, when comparing the two, 
is a much better center fielder. Yep. I mean, you look at his range, think about the pick he had in the Wisconsin game, right? Um, you rarely see someone to get behind Kirby. Now, Kirby um, will also get bowled over sometimes when he's making a tackle. You know, he makes the tackle. He doesn't miss it, but right. he's not as physical as tackler, but he's a much more – he's a very rangy, instinctive athlete. Chase Brown is more – not Chase, excuse me, Sydney has – one, he's thicker. He's probably a better tackler at the point of attack being physical, right, and can play closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, but has the ability to cover people, you know, can, can cover a slot very easily, which he did. And so I think that's where where you want your strong safety to be able to play in the box, to be able to cover that slot or tight end easily, and to be a very physical presence. Sydney is all that, right? He's kind of like a Troy Pollard, not just in looks, but yeah. that's kind of the style they wanted to play. Kirby is, is a true free safety. And when I say free safety, you're over the top, helping your corners, literally the last line of defense. You're rarely going to be brought in the box as that eighth guy. Sometimes you would, but he's much more comfortable playing free safety where somebody doesn't get hands on him in a given play. Mm-hmm. I think when somebody gets hands on him, like a receiver or a lineman, it's just difficult for Kirby to be his guy. His guy, He's just that type of player. But I think they get him in the right spots. Yeah, so what does that allow their defense to do? Because you, you do see Sidney – kind of toying with quarterbacks right he seems like one of the keys of we talked about the defense being more disguised this year making making quarterbacks guess and to me a couple times it looked like he was making tanner morgan guess and then the play happens and tanner's kind of scrambling well you're always going to find out number one as a quarterback where the mike linebacker is you're going to point that out and also uh where the eighth man is coming down um if there is an eighth man coming down and you know his ability and in the RPO game, you know, a lot of times it's as easy to read as if there's two high safeties, there's seven men. So two high safeties, two corners, there's seven men in the box, right? Because we have 11 on the field. Seven man box, you'd say it's more run favorable. Eight men in the box, one high safety. Okay, so it looks at the safeties. Two corners, eight man box, you'd say that's more of a passing uh, defense. And so sometimes that they'll make decisions on the RPO like that. But with Sydney able to kind of float in between. Yeah. And what I like about Sydney you know, I was a guy, it was hard for me to move pre-snap because I really liked to know where I was lined up, what my angles were, be in my gap. I wasn't athletic enough to actually be lined up wrong and get into my gap. Where Sydney is athletic enough to move around quite a bit and get back to his assignment. Like it's one thing to, then we call it sugaring. You sugar something opposite of what you want them. You sugar a blitz and never come which makes them check to a different protection, which can let Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton actually get a sack because they think you're coming off the edge. But you got to be a great athlete to do that. You got to have great recovery speed. Like you'll see him drop into like a cover two, like the the back half of a cover two. And that's like sprinting 20 yards. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You saw him run in the canyon on cover two uh, on that one in the second half. Right. So he's doing a lot of different things uh, that they ask him to do and does a good job of, Maybe not being having to be lined up in the exact position that he has to be when the ball snapped, right? Yeah. And part of that is, you know, Minnesota gets lined up fast, but they snap it late. So, you know, again, know the snap count. You can move a ton. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll give you a hard count to try to see what you're in. And a lot of times the first hard count 
he was totally faking like he was going to do something. Right. They would check something, and then he would go off and do what he was supposed to do. Again, we've seen them do this with snap counts as well. Snap counts is really hard to pick up when you're watching a game copy like on TV, but when you're but when you're playing the game, it's something you hear every snap, right? And so you get a rhythm of it. We saw the snap count in kind of the tip that Tariq Barnes did against Penn State. So it's not the first time they've done something like that based on the count. I don't want to focus too much on this, but I find it fascinating, Jay, because it is, it is all – the pre-snap is so different defensively than what we've seen the last five years. Like I, that, sure. That's why I'm so like – I, I focus on it because I'm watching this as it happens. It's like, we haven't seen that the last five years. And I, I think it really screws with college quarterbacks a lot. Right. Yeah. Another thing you'll see too, is you'll see the outside backers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, start two yards off, then creep up to two yards uh, to on the line of scrimmage, then two yards off. And they've mixed up their alignment quite a bit, um, which is something that's, you know, made famous by Wisconsin on their three right. or four, basically, you know, where, where they're going to move guys around and they're going to blitz and you don't know where it's coming from. But little nuances like that is big. And then we also see Devin Witherspoon and Tony Adams not afraid to really play press coverage, but not afraid to bail as well late. And so uh, we played enough press to say, well, they're going to take that away. I mean, there were some, some I mean, you look right, when they had four receivers out, or you know three receivers out we had our guys like literally all pressed up on yep. them, challenging them hey if you can get the ball off in 1.7 seconds and throw in this tight window go ahead we've got Barnes on the shallow stuff and we've got Kirby Joseph up top and so it was it was a good combo they did a great job yeah of course you need the D-line to do all this stuff right sure. Jay and uh they shut down yeah. Minnesota's rushing attack right. 2.5 yards per carry and including the six sacks too right I mean and I thought the defensive backs had something to do with that with some coverage sacks there as well but how did the defensive line force so many third and longs where they could really tee off on Tanner Morgan so yeah I mean Minnesota much like us it wants to hold the ball and be, and be an on schedule football team um, we were able to get them off schedule because of the negative plays they think they're, they're like very high in the they're like number five in time of possession and also negative plays they're, they're up there as far as least amount of negative plays with their teams and and they do that a lot because um, they do a lot of double teaming at the point of attack uh, meaning that they're going to move try to move Keith Randolph or Rod Perry or any of that and they're not, they're not going to allow penetration and, and that's kind of how they've always blocked. It's kind of weird if you look at it. They, they just, they'll double team all of them just kind of in, in what they call combo up to the linebackers. But I, I just thought the story of the game, and I know we've talked a lot about back seven, um, was for the first of my life, I said, we're going to really miss Owen Carney next year. <laughs> um, I think Owen Carney flashed when he was a freshman a little bit. Same with Isaiah Gay, but largely has not performed to what we thought he could be or would be. And I think we're really going to miss him next year. I, I think he's a physical presence as a, as a defensive rusher and uh, did great as far as that goes. But I mean, the biggest telltale sign was Isaiah Gay's sack, a sec- second to last play. I mean, Schluter just got owned. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. He just batted Schluter's hands away and ran to the quarterback. I mean, we're talking about two minute drill, you got to have your left tackle hold up. You know it's a critical time. You're the blindside left tackle for your right-handed quarterback. And he didn't even slow Isaiah Gay down. Isaiah Gay was going so fast that he hurt himself, right? Right. Um, so, anyway, uh, I, I can't say enough about those outside backers. I love that Seth Coleman got his hand on the ball early yeah. uh, to, to, to cause that um, pick by Tariq Barnes. 
But I'll get to Keith Randolph too, because I think what Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton bring and, 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 and not to, you know, give Rod his props. I think those tackle Rod Perry's going to have a harder time making sacks, but it's hard for what you call a five technique or a four eye technique, which is what uh, Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton play really what Corey legit used to play quite a bit. And what he played uh, for the, for the San Diego Chargers was a pro bowler there for it. Uh, it's hard to find guys that can run plug and pass rush at that position. Like that's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, your nose, just the way protection is, will not get a ton of sacks. But those five, to, if you can get those guys that can actually rush the passer and stop, I think you got two of them in Johnny and, and Keith Randolph, uh, which is a rare thing uh, to have five techniques that can get you four or five sacks a year. That's ten, that's a, that can change a game. And so that's why I'm really excited about Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph. I think they're guys you can build around. Brett said that. Yeah, I, I, when they, Illinois got those guys, um, watched the high school tape, and you said those guys are athletes who are, are really big. Keith Randolph. Were they recruited heavily? I'm not, I'm not yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, Keith had offers from across the Big Ten, uh, Michigan State. Yeah. Johnny was a Maryland commit at the time. And yeah. you watch his film, and he was 6'3", 250, and just moving like a, a 6'3", right. 220 defensive end. So uh, those guys really disrupted a lot, Jay. And, and when we talk about the future – like those are two of the most valuable pieces oh, of yeah. the Brett Bielema early tenure here is when you, when you got those two guys to build around, they got to add more on the outside linebacker. They got to add more depth, but having those two pieces is just gigantic. It always seems like long uh, guys that can move between 275 and 315 on the D line are just, 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 just difficult to find. They're really at a premium. Um, but I think what's shocking to me is at how young they are. You don't you, usually the farther away from the ball you are, the sooner you can play. That's why you see corners play, safeties play, receivers play. The closer you get the ball as linemen, the later you're going to have to play because you're playing against grown men. But I, I I've seen Randolph get a lot stronger, um, you know. And what I like about it is when you get a guy that has really good technique and has to use technique because he can't overpower people. When he does get stronger, watch out, right? Um, You know, sometimes those guys that can dominate people in middle school because they got a beard don't end up being very good in high school or college because, uh, unfortunately, you know, they never learn the techniques. So if you can learn the techniques, I think those guys are playing really really good techniques and uh, they call him Coach Jamo, Jameson. uh, Terrence Jameson, yeah. Yeah, Terrence Jameson, you know, has done a good job up front with those guys. Yeah, Jay, I want to break down some of that in the film room that we're going to do is with Keith sure. because he had a fourth down play that was that was pretty amazing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, I do want to focus a little bit on the offense now, Jay. Finally, a great start, right? A great start for Tony Peterson. I'm going to give him two first-quarter touchdowns because the one came on the first play sure. of the second quarter. Um, what a great start for Tony Peterson. What changed, do you think, for that group, other than obviously the defense setting up pretty well on that first uh, interception? Well, two things. Number one, I think that we got to see what it actually feels like in a Brett Bielema game to play from the lead early on and how much that changed the whole mood of the game. I mean, it, it never felt – think if you were a fan in the stands at that Minnesota game. That would be equal to you were watching Wisconsin-Illinois game as an Illinois fan. That's how bad it was, really, for Wisconsin for, – for Minnesota. I mean, in my mind, just how bad they were playing. Um, it was, it was not, not as dominant. And then number two, I feel like they listened to our podcast and took our advice in some of the plays, right? <laughs> obviously, that's where they got the idea is Tony Peterson was listening. And and, and I say that because this. Um, obviously, they're going to run the barge formation. They're going to run the zone to the left of behind Bedarian Lowe and Doug Kramer pulling that direction and whatnot. But we had mentioned, hey, what about some easy passes? You know, I think one of the most important reads of the whole game was the protection of the first play a pass play where there's two or three guys covered and he just threw it out to Sandy with a high ball and he caught it for an eight yard game. Like I was like, Hey, that was smart. We had a completion and we had the protection. Yeah. You didn't so get that, the deep, you didn't get the deep shot you wanted, but you got a nice chunk, right? That led to a you score. Got a, you got a nice, you got, you got a great, great chunk. Right. And then what I like is that, you know, they did a same kind of throwback play, but not to, to Marquez. So a little bit of tweak, tweak on the throwback play. Uh, they did a quick little out route to Daniel Barker on some conversions. Right. Then they run the barge formation, did the hard, hard boot action with um, Peters rolling to the right, right? And, and hits Tip Ryman for, for a great pass, uh, his first TD. Great tendency and, breaker, right? Like now teams got to be right, prepared right. for that. Yeah, yeah. So on the barge, so it, it's good. And there was not a linebacker around, <laughs> right? And they should have been alerted for that if you know we're into the boundary on the left hash. You know that Brandon Peters is a right-handed quarterback. It could definitely be a boot alert. They weren't ready for it at all. Uh, we also saw uh, a little bit of Wildcat, which we've been asking for, right? And although they didn't do it a ton, it was effective a ton. Some playing quarterback runs at at key times. Hey, I thought that was that was good. So like I said, uh, he tried a trick play in there as well. Didn't work, but uh, they've been listening to us, right? So that, I, that so I thought that was good. And I thought, man, when we can again they did make uh, credit to minnesota unlike penn state they did make adjustments right okay on the run game and said no we're, we're not going to let you do that but defensively we were able to stay in the game i did think we got conservative mm -hmm. and i know people are like man because if we get to the 35 and let james mccourt kick a field goal it's a three possession game right yeah. and so i was hoping they would they would do that i actually wouldn't have been upset with a run play there to try to get to the 35 and mccourt do it that being said they won the game Right. If you watch an Illinois game, it's like you cannot wait for the clock to go out fast enough when we're up. Right. It's like, ah. Yeah. No, Jay, I, I, I think it was such a great start and it was clear what they thought they were doing. Like, it was like bleed clock. Let's get out of here. Not have a turnover. That changes the game. Right. And, and their defense played well enough where I don't know if they got away with it, but it worked. Um, I, I will say, like, there's not a bunch of times I'm like, oh, you got to air it out. You got to take a deep shot here. It's more like when you're at midfield, second and eight, uh, and you run that trick play with Caleb Griffin, I'd rather just let Tony, like, the way Brandon Peters is playing, making good decisions, being smart, and being accurate, I'd just like sure. to see them put the ball in his hands a little bit more. Like, they didn't need to throw 20 times. 
Like right. throwing nine times only bothered me. I would have liked maybe ten or eleven throws, not twenty. Like yeah. so, I, yeah. I just thought there are times where whether it was last game against Rutgers in that final drive or, or this um, third quarter drive, I think, where I'd like Brandon Peters to may, be able to make those decisions because he looks like a different quarterback right now. I mean, he's definitely played his, his you know, two best games this season. Um, he seems confident, but that being said, he's had good protection too, for the most part. Yeah. He's had time. And uh, I just think when you have protection, and if I'm a tight end or a running back, that being said, I'm coming to Illinois. <laughs> I'm going to get carries. I don't know if we – I know we always say we need to throw tight ends more. When I, I'm not sure tight ends get more balls anywhere in the country than here. And, and that was Tony Peterson's. I mean, they had some really good ones at uh, Minnesota, Ben Utech and uh, Matt Spath, uh, you know, some, some really good – Jack Simmons, some, some really good tight ends. And then, obviously, uh, they've had great tight ends under Bielema at Wisconsin. Um, and in general, in the Big Ten West, you're going to have great tight ends, whether it's Iowa with Fant and, and Hawkinson, uh, the Superbacks – at Northwestern. Uh, there's been a lot at Wisconsin. Uh, we mentioned Minnesota. And so, uh, um, you know, big Austin Allen at Nebraska, right. uh, Payne Durham at Purdue, you know, so, I mean, there, there's some good tight end play in a conference and I think we're right up there with them. Yeah. You didn't know I could rattle off all those tight ends. No, wow. that was good. Come, no, on. That, that was Come good. on, bro. Still uh, got it. After all these hits. So, so like, did, did you feel they needed to be more aggressive? Because yeah, I mean, one field goal, Jay would have, would have ended the game. Um, but still, they they executed as a team, right? They, they didn't turn it over and put their defense in a bad spot. So they still executed as a team. I don't think there's going to be any huge change here. Um, but but do you think there's any adjustments they need to make after really not doing anything for the final 44 minutes of the game? Well, yeah, I, I just think, like, you need somebody to often say, like, let's get – dude, let's, let's go win this game. Let's not let the right. clock run out with us on the scoreboard ahead. Let's go win the game. And if it takes us to get in the end zone or let, let's get to the 20 so that James can bang through a, a field goal to make it 17. Let's go win the game and, and have a desperation of like, yeah. we got to get it done. I just don't see an urgency and urgency doesn't mean have to go fast. It just means, it means like, dude, you got to lock this thing up. Part of that is just learning how to win. Um, and, and part of it is, we've had disastrous things happen down the stretch, right? I mean, disastrous things happen. So I get all these different things are in the coaches' minds. And I know that more games are lost because of mistakes than guys making plays. But as my dad said, he watched the game and he watched the Nebraska game and he wasn't that excited after the win. I said, why aren't you that excited? He's like, well, I'm just, I just know under Brett Bielema, it's going to be boring football. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? Like, what? he's like, he's like, he's like, Back in 1980, Mike White threw a bomb the first play of the game, but we all cheered because you know what? We were going to be throwing the football. At least it'd be exciting to watch. I was like, but aren't you glad we won? He's like, yeah, I'm glad we won, but I'm old enough now. I just want to be excited by great plays. You know, so like it was, it was a funny conversation, right? right. Because I'm like, we're, we're talking back and forth. He's like, I just, I just feel like it's going to be boring football. Yeah. And boring or whatnot, that is Big Ten West play. I'm not knocking it because it obviously wins games and people do it. Yeah, and uh, it's what they have to do to win now. It's just like you'd like them to put these away. Like they could have put that game away long before they did. All right, Jay, before I let you go, Bowl is still alive, believe it or not. Even though they're 2-5 and just a few weeks ago, you get two top 25-ranked wins, and you still have your bowl alive. It it makes those losses more excruciating now that you've won these games. But Northwestern is a very winnable game, even though they have your number. Fitz has your number. But Iowa's next after an off week, and it's on the road. 
which seems like a good thing for Illinois. Um, they get they get an extra week to prepare for that game as well. So what do you think going into this final stretch of two games specifically against the Hawkeyes, who haven't really played good football the last three games? Uh, we really haven't. I think Iowa plays Minnesota next week. Yeah. Um, I think that's a tough matchup for Iowa. I think Minnesota's going to come back and be very, very physical. It's going to be, when I say tough, it's going to be a very physical game. And I think that bodes really well in November um, for Illinois. Uh, we, you know, Brett Bielema mentioned it, I think, in his presser last week about his success after a bye week, right? And uh, why he likes the week zero game. He gets two bye weeks. But what I like what we're seeing, what we haven't seen, other than the four-game winning streak under uh, Lovey Smith a couple of years ago, is a real legitimate improvement as the season goes on. That's that's a key thing we need to watch out. It's something Iowa's done for years. It's actually something that Wisconsin's yes. doing this year, right? We're seeing them. I think they're the best football team in the West right now, uh, the way they're playing, right? And yes, we can pinch ourselves because if there ever was uh, to, ever a year to win the West, it was this year, yep. right? But th- that being said, I'm I'm excited that we're improving, right? And so I actually have an expectation that we're going to compete with Iowa where three weeks ago, I had no expectation that we were going to compete with Iowa. Right. Um, and so when we look at this matchup, one, um, Iowa hasn't given up more than 24 points, I think in like 33 straight games, something crazy. We're probably not going to get 24 points. We're probably going to have, you know, 10 to 17 points. So defensively, we've got to stop Petrus and Tyler Goodson uh, because they haven't been explosive as well. And Petrus got benched, right? Yeah, I mean, so it's been bad. And so it's going to come down to turnovers. The way that Iowa wins is they will get a turnover at an opportune time, and that'll set their offense with a short field. And then it's very, very difficult to come back against that defense. And so um, I think it's just interesting because it says, obviously, Iowa looks like a team that Illinois kind of wants to be, Right. And Iowa always seems to improve throughout the year. They've had a little swoon here with a quarterback issue. Um, but I'll tell you what, they're going to be coming off a hard game uh, against Minnesota and against a rivalry game uh, on you know, after Thanksgiving on, on you know uh, against Nebraska. Yeah. And so I think it's a good time to play Iowa if you're Illinois. Big picture, Jay, um, whether they make a bowl or not, what would it mean to, to get another win uh, and finish the season – say four and five in the big 10 and five and seven overall like obviously you can still finish with a winning big 10 record jay which you were the last team in 2007 to do that so obviously that's the goal right but you gotta take it one game at a time i know that but even to to finish the season say with three wins in your last five games what what could that mean for for brett bielema and his program well and we we mentioned this last week i think more than anything it's about recruiting uh minnesota iowa northwestern uh Routinely come in and get players not come in because Northwestern's here, but they come into the state and and be, take take the pick of the litter, you know. And so I think all of the Big Ten West, if you would get them in an honest moment, are kind of bummed that Lovey Smith isn't the coach anymore and Brett Bielema is the coach here. Because you're going to get a battle now, right? Yeah, because it's like wow, we were able to win that. That was a win for us. Now it's going to be a battle. Number two he's going to recruit this state hard. And now we, you know, so there's battles on all fronts. So listen, college football is hard enough. If you can get a Patsy as, you know, the great, you know, Don Harden, the only volleyball coach said, you know, if there's no Patsy on the schedule that you see, then you are the Patsy. Right. And so 
we've been that patsy lately uh, in the last couple of years. I certainly don't think of this year. We, we've we reversed that. I mean, we, we're really taking it to people. And I got to give Brett, a, Brett credit. You know, he said that Penn State was not a fluke. And I think he's proved it with, with Minnesota. They got to get more consistent. Yeah. They know they got to get more playmakers. It, guys, it's, it's obvious, but the roster is going to be the roster for the next two, hopefully three games. And I think, you know, a winning Big Ten record, that'd be astounding uh, in your first year. Um, and I guess I'm just more excited that it shows our coaches know what they're doing from a game plan perspective. From a player development perspective, they're putting people in the right player spot. And number three, we're getting better as the season progresses. Despite injuries, despite things happen, we're getting better. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a great thing to see. Yeah, I said before the season, Jay, uh, we'd figure out how much coaching matters. And it feels like, especially on the defensive side, right, where we're seeing so much growth. And maybe just from a game management side, like, and I know there's some mistakes along the way by Brett Bielema probably, but um, it feels like you're getting that question answered, right? Uh, I would say, you know, 100%. Um, when they got this defensive staff, you know, let's not forget Kevin Kane was a coordinator at SMU, good program. Um, and he came here to, I'm not saying it's a demotion, but I mean, he's not playing, a, he's not a coordinator role. He's a position coach. I think the associate or assistant head coach. Um, Andy Boo has been a coordinator at multiple spots, including Stanford and Maryland. Um, so he's a linebacker coach as well. Of course, Brett has been a coordinator. That's why he was raised as a coordinator, right? At K-State and Wisconsin. And now we have Ryan Walters, who I think will probably get a pay raise. I know he makes you know, good money now, but I think he'll probably get a pay raise to try to keep him here. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a, a higher power five team tried to get him uh, or a more prestigious power five team, or if he stays for two or three years and then get, gets a job at a uh, at an American conference or a Mac or conference USA job. Yeah. Good stuff as always, Jay. Uh, we get the bye week, but uh, then we get some meaningful late November football, which is a nice thing with what we were talking about just a few weeks ago. Jay, appreciate the time as always, man. You're the goods. No problem. Great stuff as always. And if you want more from Jay Lehman and you want more in-depth football talk, and uh, if you're more visual learner, you can check out our VIP film room that we do each week. And this week we dove into uh, Ryan Walter's scheme, the defensive line, especially the back seven. We went into both of those about why Illinois was so successful against Minnesota. And Jay, even how they line up, he had a great breakdown of why it's so important of how they line up, where they line up, uh, and what was the reasoning behind all of that. For you really into it, football fans, it's fantastic stuff. And if you just want to know the game and understand the game a little bit better and maybe watch it a different way uh, while you're watching it on Saturdays, I learn something new from Jay Lehman each week. So try those out if you're not a VIP member. It's just $1 for your first month. And we do have a special promo deal coming up this week, so be on the lookout for that if you want to become a VIP member. And if you haven't checked out all the basketball content going up, Derek Piper has the latest on Illinois basketball recruiting, including Merez Johnson and that commitment. we got signing day or early signing period this week. We'll have plenty of content on that. And Derek has been really sprinting to the finish of his uh, most important Illini series where he breaks down who's the most important Illini by rank this season explains why uh, it's just a fantastic breakdown to kind of get you ready for the season which tips off on Tuesday against Jackson State 
no Kofi Coburn. We'll see if anybody else uh, is not on that list as well from Brad Underwood later today, recording this Monday, early Monday afternoon. But uh, Illinois starts the season, and it should be a very exciting one once everybody is on the court, healthy, unsuspended, all those things should be a pretty dang good season. So uh, sign up for the VIP deal when you see it later this week, and you'll see it. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Illini Inquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out. And uh, everybody, take care of each other. Have a great day. Enjoy the basketball game on Tuesday. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. <laughs>